Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I'll be your host today on Game Changers. And I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guests, Tim and Tracy Birdsell. Tim and Tracy are the founders of TNT Capture and Proposal Services. Tim and Tracy, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. I'm Tim Birdsell, and uh, I've been doing proposal management for 13, 14 years, somewhere in that range. Got started right after I retired from the Air Force, didn't even know what a proposal was, and uh, quickly got spun up on best practices from some great people that I used to work with. I'm Tracy Birdsell, and I have been working in a proposal environment since 1993. Like Tim, I sort of just walked into it, started out as a receptionist, documentation specialist, and I've been part of it ever since, um, usually in a collateral duty for small businesses. And then about 14 years ago, I decided to make it just a full-time career, and I started working at Raytheon, and that's where I met Tim. Very and, nice. And we've been we've been incorporated for since June, June of 2014. Yep. Good deal. Good deal. So a couple of you guys came on after the big business crash of 2008. So that's good timing there. That's always good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From from 2008 to uh, to about 2012 was a really ugly time to be in business for a lot of people. We I mean we were we were in business well before that, but it was it was a difficult time. So so cool. So well, today we're going to be talking about how to choose a. Per- a proposal consultant. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is I think a lot of small businesses that are out there have, number one, I think they've been burned by a lot of consultants, contractors, whatever you want to call them. And number two, I think a lot of people just don't know what to look for or what expectations they should really have when they're hiring this kind of position uh, to work with their company. So there's a handful of questions I want to ask about this. And, and what I thought I'd do is start off by just asking you, what are the biggest challenges that small businesses face 
when approaching the proposal process? Because it, it's really, it kind of starts with you're hiring somebody because you have some specific challenges. So maybe you could shed some light on what these challenges are that would actually cue somebody to start looking for a proposal consultant. So the biggest challenge, and this is from us pulling our own customer base, uh, in our own experience uh, serving in the small business and large business environment, resource constraint is the biggest issue. Um, the small businesses have their personnel. They're all on programs. A good handful of our customers, all of their personnel are on programs so that they're stuck working you know, day and night to support the growth of the company and maintain job security and it can be exhausting. And then the other part of it is the um, process. Yeah, a lot of uh, the clients that we talk to, uh, they don't have a really well-defined process, or at least they don't feel like they do. And they come to us a lot of times and help to help them develop a, a, a standard process that um, is flexible enough to where you can use it for a 10-day turnaround task order or the 45-day large fall and open process. That's something our clients would definitely echo. You know, they're, they're tight on resources, uh, you know, which means typically it's people, right? You know, so pe- people are stretched yeah. pretty thin on what they're doing. And then most of them just don't have a process or they, or they have what I would call like the back of a napkin process where it's like there's like three steps in their process where like, well, we get it, we review it and then we write it and get it out the door or whatever it is. They don't actually have a, a, a well-tuned you know, process. You know, it's, it's just something, again, like the back of a napkin where they they've barely put any thought into it and they're trying to execute a business model based on that, which is not a good recipe for success, right? So, you know, with, with that in mind, you know, there's so many consultants out there that can help with proposals. You know, how can a company know they're hiring the right company to help them? So, you know, talk to me a little bit about some of the do, the due diligence that companies can do before hiring a consultant, because that's really, you know, the due diligence process can make or break the consultant you pick. If, if you don't do the right due diligence or, you know, not enough due diligence, you, there's a good chance you'll pick the wrong person. So, so can you tell us a little bit about some of that? Yes, actually. Um, the first part of that and my answer anyway, the one thing I would recommend to all of your little businesses, small businesses and large businesses out there, um, they should definitely find their consultant long before the RFP drops. Because you can actually hire a consultant to start during your capture phase, and you can gauge their performance that way. We find that even, you know, we can test consultants, we'll ask for references, we'll validate those references, and somehow we always manage to get burned a little bit, and the consultant just isn't as good as we expected them to be. They can't keep up with us, and in my opinion, they should be exceeding us because they're the consultant, right? Right. And this has been our experience working in business and industry where we've had to bring in consultants for various things and I, they get through the door and I'm like, where did you come from? And I know that sounds a little rude, but that's actually the way the industry is right now. It's saturated with a pool of consultants and some of them are either, you know, they lack competency or they're just not really good at all. Right. Or know what they're doing. So I, I think starting early in your consulting recruiting process and giving them a few assignments to to know what they're truly capable of is the best way to go. 
another good reason for getting them in there early too is that you get to find out what how their personality meshes with your company's personality. We've seen a lot of consultants in the past that just didn't mesh. Nothing wrong with their process or anything. It's just that they had a, um, you know, the personality mix didn't make it. And that does happen a lot. Yeah, it does. And it's really no fault of either person necessarily. It's just, you know, a different, uh, different lifestyle. And culture. And culture. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what, what what you're referring to there, Tracy, is, is something that we've seen a lot of where people were working at a Raytheon or an IBM or uh, General Dynamics one day and they were out of a job the next day. So they became a consultant, you know, and, and right. that's kind of kind of, you know, that's the market is very flooded with people who were let go for whatever reason, you know, whether it was justified or not, they were let go. They have a hard time finding a job, so they become a consultant, and this is kind of what they're doing. And so, like you said, they should be able to exceed your expectations, but they've been in the marketplace all of a week and really don't even have their own system yet, and now you're trying to hire them. So I think just even being able to weed that out to figure out who's been in business you know, longer than, you know, a few weeks, a few months, who has, if we go back to the government, right, who has some past performance with clients that, you know, those are, those are some of the things I look for when we're working with people of what have you done? Have you helped a company similar to ours before? Um, How did that go? Do you have any case studies? Um, Just little things like that to make sure you're hiring the right person. Cause I, I don't know if, if you guys run into this all the time, but I'm extremely connected in our community. I, I live in one of those communities where I know the police chief, I know the mayor, I know a lot of different folks in the town because of some, some other stuff we do. And it, it's, it always happens where I, I mention on Facebook, I mention on LinkedIn that I'm looking for something and somebody will say, Hey, why don't you give my brother-in-law a call? He's been out of work for three months or he just started a company or, you know, you'll get that soft referral from somebody who is in one of these positions that's out of work or just starting up. And not that those people aren't good, but there's a, there's just a good chance. If you dig in and do some due diligence, you're going to uncover some of this stuff that, that really can make or break this process. And I like what you guys are saying about getting him involved early in the process you know, talking about culture fits and personalities and things like that. Those are all really powerful things that I think a company should be able to kind of sort out. Now, you you talk about getting in the capture phase, which is which is interesting because a lot of times when I talk to proposal folks, they don't touch that phase, and and I know you guys do get into that with clients. Talk to me a little bit about some of the skills and abilities that this proposal consultant should have in a capture phase? Because I, I think a lot of people understand the proposal writing phase of it to a degree, but they don't get this phase. So I don't, I don't know if you could talk to me some of the skills or abilities that you would look for in somebody who's going to help in this capture phase, which is you know pre-RFP. You touched on something, a uh, very good topic. And um, I'm going to uh, go back to... Uh, days at Raytheon while we were working there and that's when it really showed me the value of getting involved in the capture 
and that was uh, it was my first. I had been doing proposals for years, but I'd never been involved in the capture process of it. And we were on this big program, and the capture manager, he didn't ask me to sit in. He request he <laughs> demanded that I yeah. that I be present for some of the major events on the capture side of it, like the black hat and the blue team and that. And it was quite an eye opener because by sitting through that as a proposal manager, you're you can soak in all this information about the customer and that. And then when you get into the proposal phase, you don't have to try and catch up with all that information because at that point it's too late. Uh, by sitting in through the capture phases, uh, and not every minute of it, but just the major events, that you get a good understanding of what the team is, what their solution is, and also an understanding of the customer. So you can take that information and wrap it into your proposal as you move forward in the proposal phase. And since the proposal manager is, you know, primarily the one person responsible for overall compliance and responsiveness, it's necessary to get all that customer information in there. And if you're not if you're just catching up with capture the day the RFP drops, then you're, it's, you're late. You're far behind and you'll never catch up and have that level of customer intimacy you should have to build into that proposal. And that's because Tim and I work in environments where we do a lot of the writing too. And I think the skill set a proposal manager needs to have as far as being involved in the capture phase, that's why we call our company TNT Capture and Proposal Services because the capture part that we do, we're not capture managers. We don't do customer calling. What we do, we completely understand competitive analysis, SWOT analysis, preparing for that black hat and breaking, uh, building a team to, you know, contribute to that black hat and build the slides and the review documentation that the, the review team needs to see. And you really just, you need to know the tools like Dell Tech, Gavini, the Bloomberg. You have to do your research on the customer and encourage the team to do more customer intelligence gathering, um, managing their process as if you were there proposal manager. You're there at the capture phase. They need a schedule. They need a call plan. And a lot of times they're so overwhelmed, they don't have anybody there to set all those tools up. And so I think in a proposal management capacity, you should definitely understand the capture process and be able to administer that process for the team and make sure they're tracking to the deadlines that are established by the team. You know, as you were kind of explaining that, you know, the the, the light bulbs kind of go off and, and hopefully anybody listening, the light bulbs kind of go off on this one about how bringing in the proposal consultant early in the capture phase doesn't just help the proposal consultant. It helps your team. You know, you're, you're talking about a few things there and I, and I just envision in my mind, you guys sitting over there and, and sitting in these meetings, understanding what it takes to win a successful RFP, right? You got you guys understand that because that's what you do, and being able to really just feed that information to the team to say, hey, you know, on a scale of one to ten, we're currently only at a six, but if you can go gather this intelligence and that intelligence and go ask these particular questions, it'll help us get us to an eight or a nine or a whatever. And and I, I just that collaborative piece of it that I think a lot of people may not really have understood before they listen to this podcast. And I, I think that 
to me, you know, we're, we're called game changers for a reason. To me, that's kind of a game changer there of why you would bring this consultant in at this phase. Because I think a lot of people hear, well, you should bring me in early at this phase. And the client thinks on the back end, well, of course you do, because then I'll pay you more money. You know, I, I think that's what the client usually thinks. And the client doesn't understand well, yeah, you might pay us a little bit more money, but you're going to improve your chances of success two, three, five, tenfold by bringing us together early. Now, I can tell you more things you need to do on the front end. I'll be plugged in on how to execute on the back end. We'll get everything done on time. I mean, that's kind of what I got from your answer. And and so I, I, I really hope people grab that and understand bringing the proposal consultant in on the front end is not just about paying that person more money. It's about increasing your chances of success by several different factors. So really good thoughts there. I I really like that. Um, So I want to kind of transition a little bit to another question we have here of, again, I think this is a challenge for a lot of people when they're hiring somebody, because especially if this is the first time you've hired a consultant or you've hired a consultant and it didn't really go the way you thought, I think a lot of people have expectation issues. So, so what expectations should I have for a consultant that I hire? For example, you know, will they run my proposal process or should I still be running the, the proposal process? You know, what pieces will they be responsible for and I be responsible for? What, what are some fair expectations to set for hiring a proposal consultant? I would have to say it a lot depends on the, uh, the company itself, the resources they have available, and not just um, proposal support people, but um, SMEs, and even down to um, do they have a um, a system for sharing documents on on the cloud or something. A lot of the small companies they don't have a SharePoint uh, system yet or a Dropbox. Some uh, a collaborative uh, tool like that. So if, and those, those things are very important. So one of the things that we do, we invest in um, our business by, we have, we have SharePoint and Dropbox that we uh, offer up to our customers for them to, to use. And we do the training for free. We will go out to their site set up their the Dropbox and their, or the SharePoint, whichever they choose to use, and, and train them on how to use it. Um, and that's at no additional cost. Yeah. It's just a because, of our overhead. Yeah, it's a benefit to us if everybody can use the same system. So it's worth going out there and spending a half hour, hour training them, you know, at no cost to them. As far as expectations go, those are really good expectations. I think your consultant should have the tools they need to perform their job. I don't like it when a consultant walks in and they 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 have nothing, no laptop. They don't have offer tools that that they use or templates and things like that. But as far as the overall, if you're looking for a proposal manager, it's always been our philosophy, and we got a lot of pushback on this when we started the business, like a lot, like it was frowned upon. Tim and I promote ourselves as being utility players because we're proposal managers and, you know, we charge a proposal management rate, but then we can also do your graphics and we can do your editing and we can do some of your writing if it's management section. 
and others in the industry that, you know, we looked for mentorship from in the beginning. Said, why, why would I pay you $125 an hour to do everything when I can get you to do just proposal management and a graphic designer at $85 an hour and a writer at $100? And, and, and the editor. thing is, all those people, and I've witnessed it, we've worked for very large organizations last winter. I won't say who it was. It was a huge effort. And a commercial company. It was a commercial company, not too as familiar with the federal procurement process. And they hired every single role individually, desktop publishers, graphic designers. And the thing is, in some they cases, had multiples. They, yeah, multiples. They were sitting there during the day, and we were all required to be on site. And you know, you can't be on standby. You've got to take a job when the work is there. But they had everybody sitting there doing nothing, and they were paying them to do nothing hmm. because they had to have them contracted already to make sure that they had them for when they moved into production for each color team review, because there is a production phase for each review. You know, pink team is small, but red team, it gets a little bigger. You're adding graphics, you're formatting the document a bit, and then you get into gold team, and then it's full-on production. I don't think it's wise to have your desktop publisher sitting around doing nothing because you want to just make sure you have the best desktop publisher there when you can find it in a utility player. Yeah, you may pay a little bit more an hour, but you're going to pay a lot less over the entire process no no i really like that concept because you know we talk about that a lot as well somebody who can actually play a lot of those different roles for you with within that same confines there of, of the proposal process so that that makes a whole lot of sense to me just imagine with your your car if you had to take it to a different service place for each part for each uh <laughs> type of service if you wanted air or if you in your tires or if you wanted oil change or tune-up yeah. It would be crazy. Yeah. And we only got pushback on it because everybody else that's on the, you know, the others on the consulting side is like, well, why would I want to do that? Because then I'll actually make less an hour overall. I'd rather have 10 people on site than just one. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, some pricing a little bit. I think that's a magic question for a lot of folks. You know, when we're they're going into this, you know, it's always the, you know, what's this going to cost me? And obviously, the end goal is that it's not a cost that is an investment for people, but people still want to know what's this going to cost me. Because again, a lot of people going into this, if it's your first time, you have no clue what expectations it's going to cost to bring somebody in to work on something like this. And then if you've had a really bad experience, you may feel burned uh, that, it, hey, mm-hmm. it cost you 10 times more than it should have. So what what is kind of a fair assessment in, in understanding that no proposal is the same proposals are not made equal right you know you could have one that requires a very small response compared to one that is a massive response but in general what should folks be looking at on how they're going to actually pay for this you know what's it going to actually cost them to have this kind of service that's a good question michael we offer our clients something that we don't know if anybody else is offering no we know it we we don't believe anybody else is offering it and because we focus on small businesses, we know that small businesses have budgetary constraints. Shoot, even when we were working at Raytheon, they had budget budget constraints for hiring just even internal people to bring them in on um, to support an effort. So what we decided to do right at the beginning was we wanted to show the small businesses that we understood this issue and 
we don't charge more than 40 hours a week per person. If we're both working on an effort, then we will. But but per person, we don't charge more than 40 hours a week. We'll work 50 or 60 hours. I just did an invoice for last week that I charged 55, worked 55 hours. Our client only gets uh, invoiced for 40 hours. And we do that because we know that they have budget constraints and they can budget this from start to finish. If it's a four week effort and it never gets extended, they know it's going to be 160 hours max. max. Unlike other firms that they go out and they send, give somebody 160 hours and then they come back in two, two, two or three weeks and say, uh, sorry, I need more hours before I can finish this proposal for you. Our clients never hear that unless there's an extension on a proposal. And we're finding that our consultants are buying into our approach too. We thought that was going to be the hardest sell, but a lot of them are, a lot of them follow a really the few good ones that we have for consultants in TNT. They understand the process. And in reality, if you're working one proposal and it's of average size, you really don't pull a whole lot of overtime. It's not, if you're following the process and your team is committed, the only time you move into, you know, a desperate need for overtime is when your team is falling apart and your proposal is broken. Your whole proposal process is broken. Hmm. Our proposal management rate is $125 an hour. Um, that's, that sounds high, but again, we do live in Northern Virginia, so things are expensive <laughs> up here. That's, that's, it's very reasonable for Northern Virginia, right? Yeah. I think it is. It, it is. We've heard of rates well over 200 uh, a lot of insight there, especially that one game changer we talked about earlier about getting folks involved really early in the capture process. Any final thoughts you have for our listeners? I've got one last thing that you kind of touched on earlier, Michael, and I wrote it down so I could mention it. A little pet peeve as far as um, industry, and I can understand where they're coming from, but I don't think they're thinking all the way through it, is that a lot of times we'll hear of uh, um, industry that go out and look for, okay, let's say um, I got a Band-Aid RFP. The name of the RFP is Band-Aid. They want somebody that has worked on that proposal before in its previous versions. Um, I, Tracy and I both have issues with that because if you're just looking for somebody that's worked on that with that particular customer, they may you might find a proposal manager that's done 20 proposals with that customer and and never won a single one where another proposal manager might have worked on 20 proposals that are very similar similar type customer similar type services or product but uh never for that particular client but they've done 20 and they've won 15. now which one would you want to go with oh you want the winner Every time, hands down. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, we don't, we we don't buy into that the philosophy that your proposal manager has to have had experience with the customer right. that mm. you're you're pursuing. That's like, what your SMEs. I mean, running. we work at you know large companies and their product. We when we're at Raytheon, we're at the corporate level. We service every single business unit at Raytheon as proposal managers for the task order response process, and. The, there are so many products across Raytheon, we could never know all of them, right. ever. Right. 
when I first when I first got <laughs> when I first got started in this, I was working for a mid-tier company that did a lot of um, uh, aircraft modifications, and I know nothing about airplanes other than what I see at the airport. Even though I was in the Air Force for 22 years, but every time we'd get one, I would immediately go to Google and and Google pictures of what I was work what we were talking about. No, I, I like that. And, you know, to me, sometimes it, it really helps to have somebody who doesn't know, because I think sometimes when you don't know, you ask a lot better questions, you know, than exactly. somebody who just assumes they know everything. I, I always tell people when I do sales training, I was like, one of the things you need to write down and put on your computer screen is your name and your phone number. Because I guarantee you when you get on the phone, even though you think you know it all, you're going to forget stuff like that. <laughs> As as simple as your name and phone number. So when you think you know it all is when you actually lose a lot of ground, you know? So when you're in a situation where you don't know everything, you're way more alert. You ask better questions. You're, you're more focused. So I, I, if I had to say, I'd almost prefer somebody who had never worked on that customer unless they've only won. Right. You know, unless they've, they, they've done 30 proposals and they've won every stinking one of them, and it's exactly for what I'm working on, then yeah, that's the person I want. But otherwise, I want somebody who's who probably doesn't know near as much because I think they're going to ask a lot better questions, and it's just kind of the way I work. I, I'm, I'm that person when I go into, cl- into companies because I've never sold half the things our clients sell, and so I ask a lot of questions, and they're like, you're the first person to ever ask that. We've never really thought that like because I don't know how to sell brake fluid. You know, that's why I'm asking about that's why I'm asking about this question. Right. So. So all really good stuff. I really appreciate you guys being on here today. Uh, I think there's some some really simple game changers that people can apply to their business. So so thank you both. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Oh, and you guys are so welcome. And I I also want to take a minute here to to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers where we'll have links to their website, social media, and uh, contact information. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how to find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.